Here we go. Father, we want to pray that you'd help us to understand the Bible so we do go wow in the way that we've just sung in the song. Help us to know why we're not just singing words on a screen, but can sing these words in our hearts because of the God that you are. Teach us, we pray, what you're like as we study the Bible together. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to look at verse 17 to 38 at the end. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. 
and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken that they should not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Well, the children were on, so we'll uh, begin. And let me tell you the story of a, a little boy who was uh, in church one day, and he was taking notes while the preacher was preaching. And after the preacher finished preaching, he showed his father what he'd written. And what he'd drawn was a picture. And from where he was sitting, all he could see was the back of people's heads. But from the back of each head, he wrote a little speech bubble that went, Wow! And he drew the picture. And from the preacher's head came a speech bubble which said, Jesus is great. Jesus is great. And the people go, Wow! And that's the effect that uh, we want to have tonight as we study this part of the Bible. That's a great picture of a sermon. It doesn't actually tell you what the sermon was that was preached, but it tells you the effect that it had on the people who were there, who were speaking and listening. And you will see that we're looking at that part of the Bible, which is in chapter 20, which is a long way down the track, isn't it? If you read the number 20, you know you've been traveling some before you get there. And in chapter 1, we found out that uh, Jesus had uh, reappeared to his disciples after he died, and we celebrated Easter last week. But Jesus didn't just simply leave them and go away. He said that he was going to stay on and continue working. And Luke, when he begins Uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says this is now what Jesus continues. I'd written one book on what Jesus began to do. Now this is the second book because he continues. Only he does it invisibly through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is at work today invisibly through the Holy Spirit. And here in Acts he works through two men for the most part of the book. The first one is the famous one who is called Peter. And Peter spoke to different groups of people. He spoke to the Jews, and then he spoke to the Samaritans, and then he spoke to the rank outsider that the Bible calls a Gentile. And Peter was telling everyone about Jesus. Jesus is great. And they were following him. And Paul, he comes next. And Paul speaks to different people too, but mainly in different places. And you get a flavor of that if you look at the top of chapter 20, because you see on the little heading um, on page 929, worth having a look, page 929. And you can see how you've got those two places mentioned, Macedonia and Greece. And Paul's traveling around. And part of his traveling around when he was in Acts chapter 19, was to a place called Ephesus, where he spoke about Jesus. And like everywhere he went, there were two different reactions. Some people responded and wanted to follow Jesus. In the other response, there was a riot. People were threatened by Jesus. And so he goes on and goes to a different place. But now he gets the leaders of that town 
of uh, the, the church in Ephesus. He gets them now in Acts chapter 20 to come to him. And he goes to speak to them. And uh, if you're a little boy taking notes and you were here in Acts chapter 20, you'd draw the picture and you'd show how Paul was saying Jesus is great and you show the people going wow. And uh, he does that uh, for uh, three reasons. Now, us preachers, we try and take all the different things that are said and make one um, major little theme that we can hang our thoughts around. And I think the major theme that what Paul wants to get across is there in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, where he says, I only want to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, here's the big thing, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to say, uh, I want to tell you about the grace of God. That's the one message about God that he wants to get across. And as we see him getting that message across, there'll be three reasons why we can go, wow. And you see the headings on the notes that I gave you. The first one is that he has a shared life that makes them go, wow. His approach to suffering makes them go, wow. And lastly, his love for sheep makes them go, wow. We'll get to each of those in turn. And if you want the easy headings to remember, or beginning with S, shared life, suffering and sheep, okay? What is it about the first thing, the shared life, that makes them go, wow? You can see that he shared his life with them because in chapter 20, verse 18, when they came to him, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you. And in verse 20, I don't know why our translation doesn't put those words down at the start, but they are there at the start. He says, you know how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. You know, you know, you know. Verse 34, you yourselves know. Verse 35, I have showed you. And Paul is saying, in 13 verses, which is quite a big part of that little section, he's saying, you know me, you know me, you know me. Now, why is he doing that? To make such a uh, big thing about how they knew him and what he was like. But it may be that some of them, uh, some of the people in that town, had been critical of Paul and said, he's a rubbish Christian leader. And if someone did that, say if I did that with Rob over there, and I said, Rob, you all only live for yourself. Rob would be right to turn around and say, Mike, you know how I've had homeless people come to live with me in my house. And so the criticism would be entirely invalid. Now, Paul might be in the same position. People are being critical of him, but he'll say, you... No, that's not true. You know. And the reason why I think he wants to talk to them about the life that he shared with them is because I think that 
what people see and the way life is lived is what people remember the most. Now, Paul said a lot with his lips. You can see that in these verses. Uh, remember in verse 20, how he declared and he taught. In verse 21, he testified um, to all these different groups of people. And a man called John Stott said that actually, if you want to summarize Paul's work and what he said, he tried to say everything, the whole counsel of God, in fact, in verse 27, he tried to say everything to everyone, everywhere. So he did speak a lot and he did try and get all that across. Now that's important for us to remember because there are some people that say that if you just live the Christian life, you don't need to say anything. But Paul is full of words. He is talking all the time. And yet, what people remember the most is ultimately the life that he shared. And that has an effect, doesn't it? When we see a life that is telling us that God is gracious, showing us in some way that he is, we tend to remember. I remember when I was a young assistant pastor and just before we took our youth group away we, kept, we had very small children before we took our youth group away they discovered there was dry rot in the house it was a serious thing and we just simply left the house we took our children to the uh, with the youth with the youth group we had and we went away and when we came back we noticed that all the holes had uh, all the walls had holes in and there was dust and rubble everywhere. Now, it so happened that we booked a holiday and we were leaving the next day to go on our holiday for two weeks. And my boss at the time, a vicar called Ron Forward, said, Mike, you and Debbie and the children go and have a lovely relaxing time. Leave this to us. And off we went. And I don't think he did anything else for two weeks, him and his wife apart from spend all their time redecorating our house, putting up new wallpaper, make it look just the way it was before, so that when we came back, there was no dust, no rubble, no holes. We had our house back just the way it was. And it's a wonderful thing that uh, we remembered and will always remember. He was a wise man. He said wise things. He preached good sermons, some of whom some of which I remember, but mostly I remember what his life taught me. That here was someone who was showing to me the grace of the Lord Jesus in a small way operating in him. And that's the point, you see. Life like that is just a small hint of what Jesus is like. That's why Paul is telling us about what his life is like because really he wants to see that this is how Jesus' life is like. And so what Jesus has done for Paul, Paul has done for Christians. You see in verse 19, Jesus, you know, uh, faced plots by the Jews. But in verse 19, Paul had trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. Jesus didn't shrink back what was hard to hear, but nonetheless good to hear. He said the hard things. And in verse 20, Paul did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Jesus spoke of repentance and faith, starting up a whole new life. 
that followed him. And in verse 21, Paul uh, testifies to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus uh, spent his life showing how it was much uh, better to give than to receive, where Paul in verse 35 says, I've showed you what Jesus said is true, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we go, wow, when leaders share their lives with us and show us the grace of the Lord Jesus in a small way through the people that they are. And we look at that and we say, wow, that is grace lived out in front of me. And it is incredibly impressive, unforgettable. The second thing that uh, Paul, uh, you, you learn about Jesus from Paul is his, from his suffering. Now, in the first part, he says, you know about me and the way I lived. But now he goes from you know to I know. I know that in front of me, there's going to be a lot of suffering. He tells them about the difficulties that he has in the future. In verse 23, uh, he knows that the Holy Spirit tells him in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await him. And in verse 29, he knows that they are going to have difficulties as well, bad leaders coming into their church. So there's going to be much suffering for him and for them. And it's in the middle of all these trouble verses, the suffering verses, that you get our verse 24. The poor says, in all of this, I just want to keep talking about the gospel of the grace of God. And that's just another way of telling us that this is the reason why he is willing to suffer. Because he is so full of God's grace to him. And he knows, therefore, that God has given him a new life. The wages of his sin have been paid for. He's received a brand new salvation. And so grace is filling up and welling up inside him. Now, he doesn't want to go and suffer, but even more than avoiding suffering, he wants to pass on that God is gracious, even to the people who are making him suffer. Down the track, there will be a king, and he's putting Paul on trial. And he says, Paul, in a very short time, you want me to become a Christian? Even the people who are making him suffer, he says, I want you to understand what God and his grace is like. And leaders who just go out and are so full of God's grace, they're willing to go through any suffering to make that grace known. They make us go, wow, as well. Some of us went to Wales to a little Christian holiday called Word Alive, and we met an African pastor, a Nigerian man, uh, Ben Kwashi, from Jos in Nigeria, where Christians are uh, given a hard time. And he told us about the Cambridge Seven, seven men who went out to Africa and who did everything they could to make Jesus and his grace known to the whole of that region. And as a result, Christianity took off. But it cost these men their lives, and they're buried in Jos. And you can go to their graves. 
And when we see how people are just so full of God's grace, they will go through suffering in order to bring it to others, then you immediately say, gosh, this God must be very gracious to prepare people in that way. Which is why Paul can no longer live like a fool, which is ultimately to live for yourself. We have these very bland sayings, don't we? We say things like, look after yourself. Well, fair enough to a point, I guess it's reasonable to do that, but to say that that is the whole purpose of your life is to live with a very shallow and sad slogan. Or other people say, take care. Well, okay, to a point. But to make that the suffering, uh, the, 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 sorry, the, to make that the total summary of your life, no one's going to go, wow, at your God if you live like that. We passed a, a lady um, this morning walking our dog and she had uh, a bag. What was the slogan on that? Uh, do what you love, I think. You, live a, you run a very short and insignificant race if that is all you want to do. Just what you love. The poor wants to complete the race through suffering, testifying to the gospel of grace. That's what he wants to do. And Jesus went through trouble to achieve suffering, and Paul is willing to go through trouble to announce, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Jesus went through trouble to achieve uh, uh, salvation, and Paul we go through trouble to announce salvation, to bring eternal benefit to other people as much as he could. And those who live to bring eternal blessing to other people should be our signposts, our magnets, our examples as we watch their lives and go, wow. And then lastly, there's Paul's love for sheep. Well, that's what the flock are. And you see uh, how you can go wild God's grace in verse 28 when you see what he has done for the sheep. It says in verse 28, to care for the church of God, uh, this is pay attention to the flock, to care for the church of God, who are like a flock of sheep, which he obtained with his own blood. It's a lovely blending of God and Jesus, isn't it? The God who uh, bought the church with his own blood. And so the way that Paul loves his church is, in verse 27, to put in front of them the big plan of God's salvation for them. The whole counsel of God. And pastors who love their churches want to keep putting in front of people the big plan of God for them because otherwise they'll end up with a very small garden, a small plan of God's goodness, a small idea. But Paul wants them to know the fullness of God's grace through the whole counsel of God to fill them with the big plan that God has 
for their future. And so he gets the leaders of Ephesus in verse 28, and he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. To yourselves first, because if you lose sight, if you're a leader that loses sight that God is very, very gracious to you, then you won't really care for the sheep all that much. Because the sheep are stupid. The gentlest of Bible teachers, a man called John Stott, said that uh, sheep were dirty, unintelligent, and obstinate. That's what Christians are like. Christians are difficult. You are difficult. Pastors are lovely. Actually, they're not, because we have to put the big plan of God. uh, We need to keep reminding ourselves of God's love for us because we know that we are not lovely. But sheep are always prone prone to be difficult and distracted. They can follow wolves in verse 30, which is extraordinary. If you look at verse 29, it talks about fierce wolves and you'd normally expect sheep to run miles. And yet you look at verse 30 and it says that when these people come, they draw away the disciples after them. So the sheep are going after these wolves. And it means, therefore, that we mustn't think of these wolves as being hairy with huge teeth and large claws and saliva dripping from their mouths. No, they don't come across like that. You've heard of wolves in sheep's clothing, but these are wolves in shepherd's clothing. They're leaders who just twist grace ever so slightly so that you can't quite pin down where they're wrong, but they've just changed things. So if, if that is what uh, grace looks like, the wolves don't come along and say that because you immediately know if they're telling you the opposite. What the wolves will come and do is they'll just simply slightly change the dial a bit. So you begin to see that actually grace is not quite what the Bible means when it talks about grace. And one of the ways they would do that to make themselves more attractive is to say they're giving you a bigger view of grace. So what they might tell you is that actually it doesn't really matter what Christian lifestyle you choose to live. It really doesn't matter because God is gracious. Anything goes. He'll still welcome and include because God's an inclusive God however you choose to live. And it makes it look like God is gracious and he does love sinners and he's the friend of sinners and yet there is the element of repentance that God brings into the conversation as well. But they don't and they've just changed it slightly. So you've got grace wrong. Another way that people could get grace wrong is to add certain rules to it. So, okay, God is gracious But the way the grace comes to you is when you do certain things like go to church and receive communion and do those different things and then God's grace comes to you through those channels. Again, it's true that there are things that we do in church that are there to remind us that God is gracious but if you were to go along and say that actually that is how God's grace comes to you, you've just done that a little bit. 
and changed it, just twisted it slightly. And it's hard to pin down, but nonetheless, grace has been changed. And the reason why it's dangerous is because of verse 29. It means that people in the end lose their lives if they think of grace like that. And there's no repentance or just a rule-based following of Jesus because they think grace will come through that channel. And we need to understand that the sheep can go after leaders who teach like that because sheep are stupid. They wander off. You don't see them again after that. And the only reason why pastors will continue to love frustrating flocks is if they remember how precious they are to the God who gave his blood for them. And so that's why we stay with them, because they are precious. And therefore, rather than get at the sheep and keep telling them off, what we want to do is to help the sheep to see how gracious God is. That is why Paul commends them to the word of God's grace in verse 32. Pastors are not to beat the flock, note to self. They are to feed the flock, words of grace. And Paul must have done that really well because in verse 37, when he wants to leave, they weep and they embrace him. There are lots of people that say, well, Paul was a very difficult character. He said very hard things. He spoke about how men would lead churches, lead their families. He said how uh, contemporary controversial issues, like, for example, uh, gay relationships, were unhelpful. He actually put it down in black and white. And we think, well, he must have been a very difficult person to go and spend time with. And yet if you look and see how people are holding on to him, don't want him to go, right at the end you see that he's not a nasty character. He is instead a little echo of Jesus who was full of grace and truth. What can we learn from these things? There may be three things. Um, uh, The first thing that might be worth learning, if you're not a Christian, if you're new to these things, you might not have been to church for a while, and this is something that is new as you try and take it in, let me just uh, ask you to uh, uh, send to go home with this one question. Why should I go wow at God? And ask a Christian that you know to tell you about God's grace towards you. Join us for a meal tonight. We're all going out for a curry afterwards. And it'll be good if you ask that question. And it may be that if you're someone who's already a Christian, as you're sitting in the restaurant, ask the person sitting next to you that question. Why should I go wow at God? It may be that you're sitting next to a non-Christian who doesn't understand and you might need to explain it to them. And it would be great to share the gospel of grace so that wow factor is achieved. 
It may be that actually you've been to church quite a lot in your lifetime and you know this word grace. In fact, you've used it quite a lot yourself. It may be that actually uh, you've uh, heard Jesus is great and, well, you go for the while, you know what grace is. In fact, you might even talk about it quite a lot because people say, don't they, there's this cliche, by the grace of God. And almost every other sentence in some families, by the grace of God. And this happened by the grace of God. So the words are there, but words are cheap, aren't they? And often they come out of just Sunday Christianity, which is also cheap. And what that means is that you come to church on a Sunday, and what you love is the friendliness of the people around you, which is something to love. And you also value the encouragement that you might get from the Bible, and that does you a power of good as well. And you come to receive these things, but you see the mark of the person who really has understood grace is not that they are a receiver, because if you look at verse 35, the mark of someone who's really clocked grace and understood it is that they see it is better to give than to receive. And not in the context of sitting in a church service, in the context of loving and caring for other people, because that's what verse 35 is talking about. You yourselves know that my hands minister to, to my necessities and those with me, and I've shown you that by working hard you must help the weak and remember the words of Lord Jesus in the time that you're with them outside of church. That's the mark of someone who's understood what grace is like. They want their lives to look the same as Jesus in this way. So maybe that you're a Christian, you go, wow, today, but really we need to listen to Jesus being great and gracious in order that we can then live out a life like his. And then lastly, if you are a real Christian and you understand what God's grace is like, then it is really helpful, isn't it, to take in the truth that God is massively gracious. Even though we are disobedient sheep, and we know we are, and the last week will probably give us opportunity, we pass the microphone around, to say how actually we have let God down in different ways. I can certainly tell you that uh, failure is part of my week. And it is wonderful to meet a God who is full of grace so that we can say, wow, even in our position of weakness and collapse. But yet it's more than that, isn't it? Because we don't just want to remember that God is gracious to us, we want to testify to the gospel of grace the way that Paul did. So don't finish the course of your life just running for yourself. Live so others go wow at the goodness of God as you explain Jesus is great to them. Now some of us might think, well, that's something the apostle Paul did because he was an apostle. But then you see the shared life is just a little picture of Jesus. When you see the suffering that he has is also going to be experienced by the church. When you discover that actually the sheep of lo loving the sheep is something that we do when we're in our church family together. Remembering the importance that each one has
in the economy of Jesus. Then we realize that we are not just simply do this because we want to be like the Apostle Paul. We want to do this because he is like Jesus in these matters. And therefore we want to aim to finish our lives, to run the course, to finish our lives creating wow bubbles in the heads of people who know us and who watch us live and who hear us speak. And our desire is to bring that experience of wow at the grace of God so they can be enriched as well. I'm going to stop there and we'll uh, pray and then we'll take some questions and look at some answers perhaps afterwards. Let me stop and ask you to take one minute to pray this in for yourself. What is God saying to you tonight? Pray that in and after a minute I'll pray and we'll take questions. We've had our minutes, so let's pray. Our God, we want to thank you that you see us as we are, sheep who are, as John Stott said, dirty and unintelligent and obstinate. And yet, Father, your remedy for that is to die for us, uh, to um, pay for the wages of our sin, to give us a brand new salvation, and to speak the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of grace to us, that uh, our lives may be changed and shaped to be like Jesus. And we pray that you please help us to grow in this understanding and awareness that we might be going wild in our hearts at the God that you are. But also, Father, let it not just stop there, but grant that we might be those who speak of that great goodness and make it known with lives that show the God of grace, that mirror Jesus in little ways. And we pray that you help us in that way to create glimpses of your glory in the eyes of others, that they might go wild at your goodness and love. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.